The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to a new episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, as it's late Thursday night, June 1st, 2023, as we record this episode. I'm overcoming a cold allergy, so so sorry about the state of my voice, I've got plenty of hot tea next to me to talk some White Sox baseball with y'all. The White Sox just wrapped up the month of May, losing two out of three to the Los Angeles Angels. After the month of May, do we have a better feel for this team? Because it's starting to look like June is do or die month for the White Sox against stiff competition. There's also more roster shuffling upcoming for the White Sox, and we'll preview this upcoming weekend series between the Chicago White Sox and the Detroit Tigers. Joining me is the co-host of the podcast and managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. The White Sox finished 15 and 14 in the month of May. And uh, I, I enjoyed your latest column, what I would have tweeted if I put this out on Twitter on Sox Machine. I, I enjoy that format. And I agree with you. If you're going to lose a series to the Angels, lose it in a way where we see Mike Trout and Shohei Otani just hit bobs like 460 plus feet home runs uh, just to embarrass the White Sox pitching staff. Well, did you go to the games uh, this past week or the series? I went, yeah, I went to uh, I went to Monday's game. OK, so you saw uh, that was Trout. Was that Otani too or just Trout? I think that was just Trout. Okay. Yeah, I think Otani went deep the next day off, off the batter's eye. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's fun watching great ball players do great things. Like it'd be worse if it were Jared Walsh or Taylor Ward or, um, you know, some backup catcher doing the damage. Uh, I wrote about saying like the paradox is that you can't let Mike Trout beat you or Shohei Otani beat you, but sometimes it's fun when great players do great things. And so like, uh, as frustrating as it is to watch the nine hitter, uh, beat the White Sox time and time again, uh, over the you know first month and a half of the season, sometimes it's good to see like the star players take over and, you know, the, like the pitches Lance Lynn were throwing were not competitive. And if it wasn't Trout or Otani, it would have been somebody else with what he was throwing. So 
kind of cool to see homers hit that far, even though, as I also wrote in that post, that uh, guaranteed right field really makes big homers look small with just the endless rows of bleachers and just like, wow, did it fall into row three? Did it fall in row 20? Like, it's, that's really the only thing differentiating uh, big homers, and it really doesn't feel much, uh, which is why it's a travesty they got rid of the goose. You know, whenever there's a big homer hit to right field, like, is it going to hit the goose? And never did, but like having that out there gave an element of like, interest in 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 fun and novelty that the current outfield landscape does not have so that was that was my two takeaway thoughts from the series is one trout notani cool two man the outfield's boring <laughs> yeah on monday to clarify brandon jury hit that home run it, that was the game that kopech allowed two home runs in the, okay. the first inning and they were down four nothing Real quick, it's also when Liam Hendricks came back. Like, that's the big news story from White Sox perspective is that Liam Hendricks has returned for the White Sox, and we'll get to see him pitch more. We'll probably see him again this weekend against Detroit. But when it comes to on the field for the White Sox in the month of May, they finished 15 and 14. That's a winning record. Yay! They're currently 23 and 35, though. They're still 12 games below 500. The offense in the month of May as a team had a 708 OPS. They hit 248 with a 300 on base percentage and slugged 408. That's good for 21st in Major League Baseball. So the offense performed as a bottom 10 unit in baseball. The pitching was much better in May. They had a staff ERA combining starters and relievers of 3.96. That's good for 11th in Major League Baseball. So after the month of May, seeing these guys for 29 games, trying to recover from April, and now we're past the one-third mark of the season. We're 58 games into the season. Do we have a better feel for this team, Jim? I think so. I think April, for a lot of reasons, was, yeah, it was obviously terrible. It was also a really tough schedule and a new manager and injuries and everything like that. And every reason the White Sox were weak, all kind of coalescing into this massive super fun sight of a team. This seems like a more ordinary kind of average or mediocre that I think we were expecting in terms of like a worst case scenario, not the worst case scenario, but just if the White Sox fall flat, here's how they're going to do it. Their offense isn't going to be that dynamic. They're going to have trouble filling out the diamond when it comes to just injuries and lack of defensive utility for a lot of the bats you want to have in the lineup. And then like a pitching staff that is just a little bit thin, whether it's you know because they need the seventh starter or because just the guys that they have are having down years. And I think that's what we saw. Um, the, the pitching staff did have a little run. Unfortunately, like in, in terms of sustainability, a lot of those good games and quality starts were against AL Central teams. And over the next month or so, you know, aside from this Detroit series coming up, we really don't see any AL Central competition. There is a series against Oakland uh, in the near future, but otherwise, you know, they're good standard uh, average to above average major league offenses coming through. And we've seen the White Sox, you know, pitching staff struggle against them. Um, you know, whether it's the starters giving up homers and bunches or getting off to Rocky starts, putting the team in the hole or the bullpen having the occasional rough game. I think the bullpen is stabilized. Like there's some kind of hierarchy in the bullpen now, but with all these close games they're playing, they just have to ride these guys a lot. So you see Joe Kelly, you know, run ashore a little bit and you see, uh, you know, Liam Hendricks be thrown into uh one run game. And you see, you know, Garrett Crochet trying to get any left-handed outs out of him. So 
the thin part of the bullpen, or at least like the weaker part of the bullpen is probably going to have too much to say in some games with how few runs they score and how many arms are needed. But I think overall, the product is more watchable. Uh, the guys you expect to perform like Luis Roberts, uh, Gavin Sheets, like the reliable bats are more or less looking like themselves. The guys who are not hitting homers, the guys who've been injured have been injured or not hitting homers. Like it's, it feels more expected. Like it feels like a standard 35th percentile White Sox team, which is better than maybe what the 10th percentile White Sox team or fifth percent, second percentile White Sox team we saw in April that looked like they were on a track for 108 losses. So this is, this is better, but it's also not adequate. Yeah. How I feel about this team, I think the pitching staff is average, like league average. If you took all the major league teams, you stacked the pitching rotations and the bullpens together, and you have the staff ERA, I'm expecting the White Sox moving forward to be right there between 10th and 15th in Major League Baseball, maybe closer to 15th. So the pitching staff is league average. This offense is bottom 10. There's going to be some good days, but there's going to be more bad days than good. And it's going to be hard to string together lengthy winning streaks, which is what the White Sox need as they're 12 games below 500. That's how detrimental the month of April has been, Jim. And I sent out a tweet kind of as a joke that, hey, the White Sox went 15 and 14 in May. If they hold this pace, they'll get back to 500 in May of 2024 because <laughs> they, yeah. they need 12 more months like this to get back to 500. The problem is you don't got 12 more months. You got four more months uh, to make up this ground. And you don't even have that. And we'll talk about it later as far as like the month of June. Like you got seasons within seasons right now. And uh yeah, for the White Sox after the month of May, I they should feel a little bit better about themselves. But you go back to Detroit, and it's like, oh, if you just hold on Saturday and Sunday, you go 17-12 this month. And mm-hmm. if you don't fall flat on your face in Kansas City, and let's say you split one of those games and you steal one of those games, going 18-11 and 11 in the month of May after going 7-20 in April – Okay, now you, you can feel a little bit better about the Chicago White Sox going into June yeah, and the yeah. rest of the season, but obviously that didn't come to fruition. Yeah, it's they needed like that kind of big month to get the aftertaste out of their mouth in April. So it is going to take like the uh, two steps forward, one step back type approach. But when you see um, like Lance Lynn having the start that he had against. Uh, the angels and you see just uh you know whether mike clevenger will be able to get past this wrist injury and and whether like dylan cease can hold his diminished form together like they're gonna need uh good performances like average good performances from like their top five because jesse schultons is okay in like a pinch but he's not going to be able to replace a you know a, a fifth starter or like an every five day starter to provide the kind of pitching staff they need to supplement an offense that does not really string runs together, does not string good games together, can go games without like a walk in the first eight innings, can be outwalked uh, 10 times in one game because of the control problems the pitching staff occasionally encounters. So, yeah, it's, you know, with failing that, failing the big month, uh, they're going to need a lot more, and they just don't really have the – waves of talent to 
make that kind of sustained path to improvement feasible, at least in my opinion. The I guess the good news is the AL Central, as we've talked about, basically every team or every team's fans of the AL Central don't like their teams. Right. So in, in that sense, the White Sox are not alone. Just the White Sox dug so deep a hole that even being mediocre uh, or in the case of like twins, the twins can be mediocre and maybe win the division. The White Sox can't afford to. They need to be great at some point, even if it's just only for like four to five weeks. Again, it goes back to that joke I tweeted out a week ago. Every blogger, podcaster, reporter that covers an American League Central team. Man, this team stinks but do they stink less than the other four teams? <laughs> That's what everyone's yep. asking right now. Uh, well, let's take a look at the middle infield logjam all of a sudden. Uh, we are expecting to hear news that Elvis Andrews will be rejoining the Chicago White Sox on Friday uh, as he's completed his rehab and coming off the injured list. But all of a sudden, Romy Gonzalez is hitting Jim. In his last 15 mm-hmm. games, he's 10 for 39. He only has one walk uh, as he struck out 14 times, but he's hit three home runs and he's got 11 RBIs during this stretch. So he's hitting 256 with a slugging of 615. And when you have that type of production out of second base at the bottom part of the lineup, it does make an impact. And Pedro Grafal has been asked when Elvis Andrews comes back, how are you going to handle playing time? So let's start there with Romy Gonzalez. Uh, is this sustainable? Is this the preseason hype? Is this the version that we were supposed to be excited about? Has he finally arrived, Jim? Kinda. Uh, I, I looked at it a couple of days ago in a post, and we've talked about Gonzalez, you know, whether it was last season, over the course of the winter, spring training, when trying to figure out why, why they were hyping this guy up so much. And we both talked about how just, he swings and misses at so many fastballs that it's hard to get excited about him. And it's just hard to feel like, uh, you know, he's going to be able to capture these tools that he has. And this past month hitting the fastball better, like finally having something resembling normal swing and miss rates against fastballs, especially fastballs in the zone. So after many months and ups and downs, and you know, some of those ups and downs were because of the injuries he had last year and the time missed with leg injuries and tonsillitis and such and being pressed into a role he didn't deserve in the major league level, he's finally looking like a an ordinary young quadruple-A player. Can cover the fastball, now can he do other stuff? So he's there. Like He's kind of reached a, you know, a checkpoint in his major league development. So that's good. That's a relief. And I think that lends some credence to what the White Sox saw and like, you know, he can, he has some really loud power at times and can really make use of his legs as we saw at that stolen base and scoring uh, on the throwing error at third. Uh, just the, you know, now we have to see, well, if they start throwing him sliders, can he lay off those? If he starts like lunging at sliders, do the fastball problems come back because now he's you know having to think too much again. Things we don't know, but are at least more pleasant to find out than can he hit a fastball at all, which uh, un- until this like past uh, couple weeks, the answer was no. So that's good. And then with Andres coming back, I think, you know, I would like to see more Gonzalez because between the two, more Gonzalez and Andres, because like Andres doesn't have a whole lot of value at this point for what the White Sox are trying to do. But I also think like Gonzalez is in a little bit of a delicate state to where like if he's flailing, um, no point in running him out there. Like he's going to be a project, I think, the entire season to shape into a major league hitter. Like we've seen it many times over with like Adam Engel, I think, is like the ultimate project hitter. Like uh, 
his skills and tools in the outfield could definitely be seen like on a random day. Like, oh, I understand why he's a major league player. Is he a major league hitter? That part took years. I think for Gonzalez, going to be a similar thing. Just in order to make him to a hitter that can uh, support a bench spot, it's going to take a while. It's going to take some careful management and not managing or like not playing him into the ground because he's just out of sorts. So I think Andrews will be there for valuable relief for second base. And then we'll see it shortstop as well. Even third base with Yohan Makata always looking like he's on the verge of missing three weeks. So there's room for Andrews, but I think right now Gonzalez has done enough to, uh, you know, let him fail a couple of days in a row and then regroup and see what else he has to work on. Yeah. With Elvis Andrews coming back naturally, maybe our podcast listeners are asking, okay, Andrews comes back. How does this roster work? And let's call this, Educated speculation, a very fancy way of saying unverified rumors, but there are rumors that Hans Roberto will be DFA'd by the Chicago White Sox. We'll wait to see if that officially does happen, but that's the word on the street. And if Hans Roberto is DFA'd, then I guess to your point, I mean, there's two sides to me. One, there's the Josh that has a steak dinner bet riding on Elvis Andrews that vehemently disagrees with you, Jim, and that <laughs> Andrews needs every at-bat possible. But the logical side to me, and trying to think like Pedro Grafal, if he's going to play the hot hand, Romy's hot. Stay with the hot hand. Tim Anderson's not hot. Mm-hmm. And his season OPS is now below 600. If you need a veteran bench guy, yeah, it makes a lot more sense to keep Elvis Andrews because Andrews can play shortstop. Hans Roberto cannot. If Mikata needs a day off, you got Jake Berger. Or you can even move Romy Gonzalez over to third if you really want and put Andrews back at second base. Like It it makes a lot more sense if this rumor ends up being true that Elvis Andrews takes over the role that Hans Roberto had. It's just that the White Sox don't have anyone dependable if they're down 10 runs again to go on the mound and pitch like Hans Roberto did. So I, I think that could be how the roster shuffles. And I, I'm with you, at least for the time being, let's see how this goes. But I would go by, like a week by week basis. Is that fair? Like mm-hmm. every seven games you're reevaluating. Like, if he goes cold again, he, as in Romy Gonzalez, if Romy Gonzalez goes cold again for seven games, do you swap him and just keep doing that? I mean, the, the one problem with that is going to be hard to build up a rhythm for these guys. Yeah, I'm thinking more along the lines of, like, two games on, one game off, uh, especially if there are if there's, like, a tough righty who you think is going to give Gonzalez fits and you're still trying to win games, like, Andrews is probably the better play, so... I think there are ways to do it like that, especially since Gonzalez has gotten to a rhythm while not playing every day. Like he hasn't needed to get every single at bat to find this little streak he's been on. And also he went over four with a couple strikeouts his last game as he started throwing him more sliders. So I think there will be like an acknowledgement of just like, man, he's having a tough time. He's still a rookie basically. Uh, and you know, it was funny, like Alberto, I didn't realize how cold he'd gotten. Like he, he since that four for four game, he's eight for his last 50 um, doesn't strike out too often. Wow. That's why, like, it doesn't seem like he's that cold. He just he makes a lot of weak contact uh, that can, you know, be easily fielded. And so that's why, you know, it, it, he's a lot more replaceable. At first, I thought it was like, wow, I guess it's kind of a sea change in looking forward into, like, you know, the 2024 roster. But no, Alberto wasn't really doing much after that big game in uh, Cincinnati. So I, I think, uh, you know, 
Anderson, he looks better than his numbers are. Like, you know, he's, yeah, he had like three singles taken away from him uh, by the Angels. I think like Drury was like gloving everything he had like left and right, um, getting babbipped a little bit in the wrong way after so many years of, you know, Babbipping like 350 to 400. He's now seeing that go against him a little bit uh, because the power isn't all the way back yet. So, you know, Anderson, I think, is still playing his way into shape, and Andres can spell him there. But I think there is a rotation that they can work through between Gonzalez and Andres to where, like, Gonzalez is still getting enough playing time to where he's not getting rusty, but also being spared against, like, situations where. There's no point. He's, he's not there as a hitter yet, and you're still working on the big picture, kind of like Andrew Vaughn in his first few months in the majors. Like, yeah, everybody got frustrated that he wasn't playing every day or maybe sat like two days a week, but usually there is a reason for why he was sitting because he just wasn't there as a hitter yet and also long season for him too. And Gonzalez hit missed reps last year, so I think there's probably some benefit in sitting him now just to have him be fresh by you know august and september should he be a guy you still want playing in august and september which you know, may not be a given yeah speaking of andrew vaughn he had a big series he must have listened to the episode of monday and he's like i'm gonna prove you wrong josh and jim <laughs> and uh vaughn had a good series against the angels but unfortunately it was not enough as the angels still won two out of three games against the chicago white Sox. So that's the month of May. That's the middle infield log jam. Let's talk about the upcoming month after a quick word from our sponsors. Take on the sun with gear built to last. Our friends at Shady Rays have you covered for the warm weather ahead with premium polarized shades at an affordable price. And it's finally sunny in Chicago. It's going to feel like summer this week. And with Shady Rays as an independent sunglasses company that offers world-class product that's just as good as any expensive pair we've worn with durable frames and extremely clear optics for outdoor adventures, what better way to get some sunglasses for this summer in Chicago? That's not all. Shady Rays offers the most insane protection in all of eyewear. Every pair of sunglasses is backed by a lost and broken replacement. If you lose or break your pair, even on day one, they told us they will send you a brand new pair, no questions questions asked wear your shady rays with confidence because they have your back long after you purchase together with their customers shady rays is providing much needed support to nonprofit partners across the united states through shady rays impact from building play sets for pediatric cancer patients to providing young adults with ms the outdoor adventure of a lifetime shady rays is making an impact in your community and others like it now and for years to come if you don't love your Shady Rays, exchange for a new pair or return them for free within 30 days. There's no risk when you shop. Their team always has your back. The Shady Rays Memorial Day Sale is live right now. And if the features don't convince you, go to ShadyRays.com and you get 35% off all sunglasses. Again, that's 35% off all sunglasses on ShadyRays.com. Try for yourself. The Shades rated five stars by over 250,000 people. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. All right, let's talk about the month of June for the Chicago White Sox. Again, they're 23 and 35. They've got 26 games scheduled here for the month of June. And I know everyone references the 2019 Washington Nationals. The Washington Nationals were in a similar position as the 2023 Chicago White Sox. Well, as Jim wrote this past week on SoxMachine.com, that same Nationals team went 18 and 8 in June. They erased the deficit at how many games they were below 500 in a single month, and they went streaking all the way to winning 93 games in that season. So if the White Sox are going to turn this around, if they're really going to win this American League Central and maybe make some noise to the playoffs, they need to have a monster month in June. Here's the problem. <laughs> As a do or die time, you couldn't ask for a worse schedule or you couldn't ask for a more difficult schedule, it seems like. The combined winning percentage of the opponents the White Sox are facing from June 1st to June 29th, I'm doing this on purpose, is 546. Now, June 30th, the White Sox play at Oakland. I'm not including Oakland in this. The White Sox this season against teams above 500 are 11 and 24. That is a 314 winning percentage. And they have three home games against Detroit. The Tigers are 26 and 28. That's the only team below 500 the White Sox are going to see until the end of the month. Then it's at the Yankees. It's at home against Miami. Miami's above 500. A West Coast road trip visiting the Dodgers and the Mariners. Then you come home and then you get to face the Texas Rangers who are just scoring runs in bunches. And then you face the Boston Red Sox. And then after that series, you go to Anaheim for a four-game series there. And then after Anaheim, you got to go to Oakland. That's your that's your reward for going to Anaheim for four games. You get to go to Oakland uh, for three games to end June and start July. So, Jim, is this do-or-die time for the White Sox in June? Pretty much. Uh, and even going into July, after that A series, they play the Blue Jays, the Cardinals, the Braves, and the Mets. So really, you're not looking for like a stretch of ordinary to bad offenses until the uh, fourth weekend in July. So basically, it's it's a really sustained stretch of just good teams that are going to test a pitching staff that has given up the second most runs in the American League. And you know, a lot of that work was done in April, and the White Sox, I think, were unconscionably bad in April and just in a way that you know you wouldn't expect them to be that bad in June but those April games were against a schedule like this so even if they aren't that bad there's still room to be below average and 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 you know regress towards the positive and still be below average and and in a way that the offense can't compensate for so it is do or die and that's why, you know, looking at the last month, you know, 1811 or you know, a record like that probably would have been a whole lot better to absorb uh, the kind of, you know, potential losing streaks or skids or like 
patches of like, you know, maybe they don't lose 10 in a row again, but maybe they lose five out of seven. And then they lose, uh, you know, a week later, they lose uh, four out of five and just can't compensate with a winning streak to offset that. That's that's kind of how I'm fearing the month is going to go just because it is a good offense against good or good offense after good offense after good offense or like feisty offenses or offenses that can draw walks. They might not be like the you know most high powered offense, but you know they can take advantage of a pitching staff that can't uh, find the strike zone, which sometimes the White Sox pitching staff can't do. So that's what makes this tough is that you know, having seen the Tigers, draw so many walks against the White Sox pitching staff and the Tigers right. don't walk uh, better offenses could just, you know, you know, say like, say if Lance Lynn gets knocked out in a third inning, which I don't think he does. I think he throws four innings, no matter what, like Pedro Grafalo really likes riding him, And you know, given his status and given how, uh, you know, the White Sox really don't have anybody better to replace him with maybe just absorbing innings and, throwing a lot of pitches until he just can't do it anymore is the way to handle him the rest of the year, uh, you know, the rest of his contractual obligation, but it's, uh, it's looking rough. And uh, yeah, we've talked about this before when like trying to figure out whether division or the American leg, like where the loss is going to come from. uh, The White Sox have often been the team to provide the losses looking at this stretch, trying to think like, where are the wins here? And it's hard to see wins in bunches. Except for June thirtieth, <laughs> hopefully Oakland, it, they did take two against the Braves. Oh if they don't sweep Oakland, well, I mean, by the time they get to Oakland, the season could be done. At least for me, I I do think this is do or die time. The next mm-hmm. twenty five game, it, it's do or die time. And in order for the White Sox to be like that in two thousand nineteen Washington Nationals team, they got to go nineteen and seven this month. Against these teams, nineteen and seven, no way. Yeah, I think you have to scale down your uh, comparison to the Nationals and just say like, what does it take to stay within like six games of the Twins or the first place team, the AL Central? Because the Nationals were playing in an, a very competitive NL East, and the AL Central is not that. I get that, but you got vultures circling mm-hmm. right now, and by vultures, I mean opposing team GMs that need help. Mm-hmm. Everyone is directing their attention to the Chicago White Sox roster and what they can pick apart. Like there are going to be people who will say, well, you still got to have hope. There's 104 games left to go in this season. I don't think that's the right way to think about this. You have two seasons right now. You have this season to the trade deadline and you have to rock this part of the season. Because if you don't, then Rick Hahn's got to get on the phone and he's got to sell things off because there's just no point in holding on to this team for the last two months of the season if they're not going to stay within six games of the Minnesota Twins. And the Twins have a difficult schedule as well. It's just, it, it, again, the White Sox are 11-24 against winning teams. A three three fourteen winning percentage. They got 22 games right now scheduled against winning teams. If that winning percentage holds, folks, the White Sox are going to go 7-15 and 15 in those 22 games. We won't be talking about a White Sox team 12 games below 500, Jim. Mm-hmm. Come the series at Oakley, we could be talking about a team that's 20 games below 500. <laughs> and 
like, I'm sorry, but I don't really care how many games that they're behind the Minnesota Twins because you can't convince me a team that's 20 games below 500 on July 1st is a playoff team. Well, even yeah. if this is the worst division of all time, like I just I can't I can't fathom that. Oh no, like, I, I agree with you there. Like if they yeah if they're 20 games under 500, they won't be within striking distance of even like a mediocre Twins team. I'm talking about like if they go 500, if they somehow tread water this month. Given that 13 the twin, and 13. Yeah, given that the Twins have like a decently tough schedule, softer than the White Sox, but like still tough. Cleveland, I think, is a little softer than the Twins, but, you know, still like respectable teams abound in their monthly schedule too. Like they could go 13 and 13 and still maybe gain a game or two on the Twins. So that's why like, you know, that, that's, why I'm, that's kind of the outcome I'm thinking of when it comes to like uh, not having to turn on the Jets like the Nationals did to try to catch up to a, a division that had the uh, Braves and Phillies in it playing pretty well. Like in this case, like the, the Twins and Guardians are not that. And then Detroit, you know, given the injuries that they've had to deal with this past week i think we can more or less count them out as feisty as they've been uh but yeah if they go 7 20 if they hold that you know if they're losing two out of three games to uh teams that are better than them then yeah there, there's gonna be no point i'm just thinking you know long lines of if they win every other game then it still might be a case where it's worth holding on to some guys because a teardown isn't going to bring in that much well, I think if you had a good GM, you could leverage a Lucas Giolito deal to get you more than expected because everyone is hurting for starting pitching, especially with the contending teams. Yeah, I don't think yeah. you're, gonna get, you're not going to get two top 100 prospects, though, like to your to your point, Jim, like you're not going to get that much. Like if people are like, oh, we need two top 50. Pr-. You're not getting that for Lucas Giolito. You'd be lucky to get one and be happy with that one. But yeah, just looking at June, like, I think this is do or die time. Because at some point, you need to make a decision as a, as a front office, as an organization. What is this season? What is this season? Are we a serious playoff contender? And maybe it's, it's just, I guess, funny to me that, to your point, if they go 13-13, and 13, which might be a minor miracle based on how tough this schedule is upcoming. I, I think... It's more realistic with the way the White Sox have been playing. They go like 10 and 16 in these mm-hmm. 26 games, which then puts them 18 games below 500 uh, on July 1st. That you could make the argument they shouldn't sell because they're still within seven games of the division lead. Like, I don't know, man. Yeah. You don't have, you have already played six games against the Twins. You only have seven more games left to go this season. And, Three of those are coming up in July before the trade deadline. So after you play those three games against the Twins, that's nine games. So you got four games remaining against the Minnesota Twins after the trade deadline. Like, a decision would have to be made. And I know Rick Hahn is passing the buck here with his latest comments on Memorial Day that it's too soon to talk about unloading players on this roster. And I get where he's coming from. But this roster is going to make that decision for you, Rick Khan. Not you making a decision. They, the players are going to make this decision for you. Are you going to react in a timely manner to take advantage at the best possible opportunity on what you have and what offers are given to you by the vultures trying to pick players off of your roster? Can you take advantage of that? Because the last couple of trade deadlines, you have not. Yeah, he's kind of locked up. 
So yeah, it's yeah. I think you know when it comes to games under five hundred, I think uh, yeah, if they're dropped like fifteen or lower, like yeah, that's that's not a postseason team. I'm thinking more along the lines of just five hundred ball. Where they stand after five hundred ball against a good schedule? Because if they are holding their own against like a, a run like this, conversation becomes tougher. Just because like another soft patch, maybe they can step on the gas. But I'm not counting on that. Like you know, we've been like the themes we've been covering. Uh, good teams tend to bring out the you know tend to uh, identify the stress points on this roster, on this depth chart, in the lineup uh, that crack when when pressure is applied and I think we'll see those fault lines emerge once again over the course of this month. And there's a reason why they were 500 ish against a, you know, soft schedule in May is because they're just not that good. Well, let's talk or about not the, good at all. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> let's talk about the first series of the month of June as the Detroit Tigers now visit the Chicago White Sox after Detroit took three out of four at home against the White Sox. Your pitching problems for this series against Detroit is 26-28 on the season. We just talked about the Tigers not that long ago. So Friday night at 7.10 p.m. Central Time, and it's Lou Gehrig Day in Major League Baseball. Reese Olsen is going to get the ball for the Detroit Tigers, so a new guy. It's to be determined for the White Sox, but the expectation is that Mike Clevenger will be coming off the injured list and making this start for the Chicago White Sox and Jesse Schultz will be making his way down to Charlotte. That's the expected move. We'll see. Again, we'll wait for official word and news for the White Sox, but that's what it's looking like is Reese Olsen, new pitcher against Mike Clevenger. Saturday, you got Michael Lorenzen, who was perfect forever against the White Sox, against Dylan Cease. And that game's at 1.10 p.m. Central Time on Saturday. On Sunday, June 4th at 1.10 p.m. Central Time, it's to be determined for the Tigers, and Michael Kopech will get the ball for the Chicago White Sox before the team makes their way to the Bronx, in which we'll see Giolito and Lance Lynn make those starts, at least the first two starts, against the New York Yankees. The to-be-determined part for Detroit on Sunday was supposed to be Eduardo Rodriguez, but unfortunately, he's gone on the injured list with a left index finger injury. Riley Green, who made a sensational defensive play uh, out in center field. I believe it was Jake Berger that he robbed a home run off of. Mm -hmm. uh, and one of their better offensive players. He had a big month of May. He's on the injured list. So the Tigers, Jim, come into this series really banged up. They're, they're missing their best starting pitcher, and they're missing their best position player. So after we talked about on how tough this month of June could be for the White Sox and being do or die time, with the Tigers not having their top two players, does this give an opportunity for the White Sox to make up some ground on Detroit? It should. Uh, but as we saw last time they played Detroit, like, you know, given that the rotation is already missing Casey Mize and Matt Manning and Tarek Skubal, like they should have been wounded enough already for the White Sox to... Uh, limp ahead of them in the standings and said they fell further behind. You have Lorenzen who was perfect against them for like, you know, more than half a game last time out. Reese Olsen throws with his right hand. So like he could pose problems for the White Sox. I think this will be like a decent indicator for the start of June to how game they might be over the next few weeks. Like if they don't give Lorenzen a hard time after seeing him, uh, a second time in such a short order, or if they don't uh, make Olsen look like a rookie. And if they lose two out of three, despite 
not having Rodriguez, not having Green in the lineup. And, and you know, Green also hit that double turn triple that scored the winning run, uh, or sorry, the tying run uh, against Joe Kelly. Like, you know, he had a factor in, on, on the offensive side of the ball, too. Uh, it should be a case where the White Sox should win two out of three, but if they don't, yeah, I mean, it just continues the theme of the previous Tiger series and the Angel series. And I guess it will be helpful in that regard that they just really can't, um, you know, fool anybody. We saw Cease get uh, roughed up by the Tigers a little bit, and he was the Tiger tamer. And now his diminished stuff isn't even keeping them in check. Kopech uh, got, uh, you know, a, a tougher lineup, AL West lineup, made him look more human than the uh, Guardians and Royals did. So we'll see the Tigers can... Uh, you know, set the degree of difficulty lower for him to get back on track. But, you know, should, you know, Cease and Kopech and then like Clevenger will see how healthy he is. But it's a good series of starters to see like how much they have. And then like a good batch of pitchers for the Tigers to see like whether the White Sox can hit lesser pitchers, because if they can't, yeah, the schedule only gets tougher from here and you can probably set your expectations accordingly. Liam Hendricks and his usage. This is going to be, I know this is going to be a question. I'll be with Bernstein and Holmes on 670 the score on Friday afternoon. And I know they're going to ask me about the usage of Liam Hendricks and how Pedro Grafal should move forward with him. Did you like the situation that Grafal used Liam Hendricks on Monday? And do you expect that the White Sox will continue this type of usage for Hendricks in this weekend series against Detroit? Uh, ideally no, like I, I didn't like that situation. I think, you know, under the circumstances, um, given that everybody was there, or at least a lot of people were there to see him, I understand bringing him into his first game back and celebrating him. And that's fine. Like, you know, that, that was good. I mean, it, it, it's a very human interest the White Sox fans have in him and you know some things do transcend a win and a loss in a given day so I don't think it was the optimal baseball situation to bring him in but it was fine like I'm not gonna you know say like oh this is terrible you know what are you doing Griffal like it, it, we know what he was doing and we know like that it was worth trying to see what he had um especially in the first day but as we go along I would like to see Hendricks earn his way up uh, and, and, you know, pitch more or less low leverage, kind of like Keenan Middleton did, uh, you know, he worked his way up getting lower assignments first, then like realizing, Hey, this, this guy's getting some swings and misses and he throws three pitches for a strike at any time or a swing and miss at any time. So let's uh, pile on some weight and see if he can hold up. And he did. And he kept, you know, climbing higher. I think I would like to see Hendricks, occupy that role early on. I think the tough part is Garrett Crochet is already in that role. Yeah. Uh, coming back from Tommy John surgery, not having his command and not having the the snap on his slider to where like he looks like the lower leverage guy. So if the White Sox are playing a lot of close games, uh, you could see Crochet or Hendricks get a tougher situation just because somebody needs a, a breather and, and one of those guys has to step in, but coming off an off day coming, uh, uh, against the series of the Tigers where hopefully the starters go deep. I would like to see Hendricks saved for, you know, down three or, you know, up four, something like that to where, you know, he can put a couple runners on. It's not the end of the world. You know, I think that's going to be helpful to have him, uh, you know, go through full innings himself and not be, you know, I don't think it helps to have multiple guys because Aaron Bummer is also on a short leash too, to where like uh, you have to have another reliever warming up because, it might not go well and the game is important. So 
uh, low leverage situations to start and then see what happens. And I think Hendricks would like to be a closer, but he seems to know that he's not quite there yet and he doesn't want to be a charity case. Uh, if you know the White Sox need every win possible, and you have a whole bunch of relievers uh, that are capable of throwing a high leverage inning here and there between you know Kelly, Graveman, uh, Middleton, Lopez has been better as of late. Like you have four guys who are probably better suited than Hendricks right now to take on those kind of assignments. Yeah, I think I like to see him come into the sixth or seventh inning, be the first arm out of the bullpen when Grafal's transitioning from the starters to the bullpen. Like, that's where I'd like to see Hendricks come in. And, again, the game is not really on the line at that point. You still got some innings, at least for the offense, to, to make up some ground. Now, again, Detroit's bullpen has been pitching very well this season. That is a top-10 unit, and we talked about it. Last time the White Sox faced the Tigers, it was like a first-to-five innings uh, type of series. And it ended up being weird in the sense that Detroit had the lead three out of the four games of the first five innings, and they won those three games. But two of those games, the White Sox retook the lead in the seventh inning. So that doesn't really hold Mm -hmm. uh, in that situation. (laughs) But it it still could be the same case here. But especially with Detroit and the uncertainty that they have in the starting rotation. Like, they don't know who's pitching on Sunday. They got a new guy pitching on Friday. They just know that Michael Lorenz is going to go on Saturday. So the Tigers are shuffling right now on the starting rotation front, but the bullpen has been very solid. It's just uh, uh, my fear, Jim, is that Grafal says one thing, but he's going to do something different. And I could see Liam Hendricks being the primary setup guy for Kendall Grayman, and that Hendricks is going to continue getting the eighth inning. And I think if he is, it would be a case where it's the eighth inning and it's like the seven, eight, nine hitters for Detroit. Okay. Like it does seem like Griffal is sensitive. Yeah. He, okay. It seems like Griffal is sensitive to who's coming up uh, at a given time, which is why Lopez early on got two, three, four seemingly every day and wasn't quite good enough to handle that. We've seen Kelly now be that guy, although he's had a couple of rough outings in a row. Graveman's been that guy. So I think it, I think I'm paying closer attention to who is Hendricks facing if he's in a one-run game, whether the White Sox are winning or losing by one run, and it's later than the sixth inning. Got it. So if it's four, five, six going into the seventh inning, we're thinking Joe Kelly. If yeah. it, if oh, it's seven, or eight, Graveman or Middleton, depending on rest. Okay. Yeah. Good point. It's not Hendricks, but if it's seven, eight, nine in the eighth inning, and it's a tie game or Detroit's up one, or the White Sox are up one. Hendricks is coming out to face 7-8-9. Okay, I could, I could buy that strategy. I think you're right, Jim. That That's the direction that Grafal will go. Because Grafal did In, face the yeah. bottom... Uh, I'm sorry, Grafal had Hendricks face the bottom of the order on Monday against the Angels. It just... He struggled. He's breaking off a lot of rust. He eventually faced the top of the order for the Angels. That, that was not the mm-hmm. game plan. So, okay, I think you're right. Okay, looking at that perspective... It all depends on where Detroit's lineup is. If 7-8-9 is coming up, Hendricks will enter the game. No matter what the inning is, six, the sixth inning and beyond, because we know Grafal is going to push these starters, maybe except for Clevenger on Friday. Uh, and if Clevenger doesn't, doesn't go five innings, uh, Gregory Santos or somebody will pick up an inning or two before you get into that situation. So, okay. Well, if it's 7-8-9 and it's the ninth inning and the White Sox are up by a run, is Hendricks getting that save opportunity then? 
Uh, if Graveman is, hasn't been used, I think Graveman would probably be, be the choice. Like, I think he's throwing the ball pretty well. Kelly's also throwing the ball pretty well last couple outings, notwithstanding. So I think there are better choices. But again, like, it comes down to, like, was Kelly used to face 2-3-4 right. inning before? Or was Graveman coming in? So I, get, I think, you know, if all things being equal, the hierarchy is probably Graveman, Kelly, you know, going from top to bottom, you know, highest leverage down. And I think it's probably Graveman, Kelly, uh, Middleton, and then, you know, Lopez, then probably Hendricks slots in with Santos. Bummer if there are lefties. That's kind of how I see it right now. But yeah, if it happens to be like a long bullpen game because Clevenger only goes four and you see Graveman in the seventh and Kelly in the eighth, then maybe it does get to Hendricks in the ninth because at least he's been there before. And, you know, the nerves or like the task shouldn't be new to him. It's just more a matter of are his pitches up to the task, which is an equally significant question, but at least you don't have to worry about like if it goes poorly, Hendricks being ruined because you know, he's blown saves before and bounced back. But the majority of white Sox fans would, if that, if that does happen, that Hendricks comes out for a save opportunity this, this weekend, after talking through this, and we think it's going to be lineup situational. They're, they're not going to under a lot of white Sox fans are not going to understand that point. They're just going to understand, oh, Hendricks is back as being the closer and he's going to be the closer moving forward. And Grafal is not going to dispute that because he doesn't want to give away his hand in the public to opposing teams on how he's going to be handling his bullpen based on the lineup because it makes it a lot easier as the opposing manager to know, all right, here, which White Sox relievers coming out? Let me just look at my lineup card. Okay, I know who's coming out now. I don't think Grafal wants to make it that easy as a rookie manager, even though maybe if we have found, figured this out, Jim, other teams have already figured out and how Grafal is handling his bullpen. Yeah, I think, okay, so this is this will be interesting. So this is this will be fun over the weekend to try to figure out on how Pedro Grafal is going to use Liam Hendricks. And now that you brought up, it's going to be lineup situational, Jim. That's what I'm going to be paying attention to. This weekend, anything else that you're going to be paying attention to when watching these games against the Tigers? Yeah, we talked about Romy, just whether he can get back on the you know, on track after a rough end to the Angel series. Ordinary righties coming up, uh, he should be able to handle those assignments if he's able to hit the fastball. Like he should look like an average or like forgettable second baseman and i think forgettable would be an upgrade based on the way he played in april uh somebody who fits in at the bottom of the order is what i want to see also you know, eloy swinging better so i'd like to see him continue to be a middle lineup bat uh i want to know what's up with Moncada, like whether you know how much he has to offer see if anderson uh can you know, he seems like he's hitting the ball harder just whether that results in hits this time around uh a lot of pieces need to start turning for the better, at least become more stable for this White Sox offense to supplement a pitching staff that I think is going to have a, its hands full after this Tiger series. Yup. <laughs> That's a good way of, uh, of uh, the too long didn't yeah. listen. Yup. Uh, for the month. <laughs> and then the White Sox pitching staff has to throw strikes this time around too. So, I mean, you know, we're, it's not a case where you can overlook the Tigers because obviously we saw what that looked like the last time around in terms of the Tigers being like, no, we're, we're better than the White Sox right now. And, and, and this is why uh, it, it's not a case where you can start looking past the series, but uh, you can't look past the series in terms of seeing tougher offenses with name brand players, which uh, the White Sox have not fared well against either. 
Well, we'll see on how this series goes. We will be recapping it for Monday Sox Machine Podcast, but that will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening, and hopefully my voice held up long enough for you guys to listen through this. Is You uh, sounded fine. Thank you. Excellent. I'm not 100%. I'm like, yo, on Makata. I'm playing at like 75% right now. But I do appreciate everybody that listened to this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. A lot going on this weekend just in the world of baseball. Friday morning, there will be a post for me as the NCAA regional play has started. So the postseason for college baseball has started. This is where draft content and scouting reports really start compiling here as more dope and more intelligence is passed along. I'll have an article on 64 players to follow during the NCAA regionals if you guys are interested in that. So if you love baseball, it's going to be nonstop, especially on ESPN starting at 11 a.m. Central Time and going throughout the entire day until the Chicago White Sox play at 7 o'clock on Central Time. We're expecting White Sox news to come in as far as the roster. Jim will have that covered as well on SoxMachine.com. Regarding as far as we're expecting Mike Clevenger, we're expecting someone to be removed from the 26-man roster. Again, our speculated, our educated speculation is that Hans Roberto is going to be DFA'd by the Chicago White Sox. We'll see if that actually comes to true. Uh, When the White Sox do make those roster moves, again, we'll have that covered on SoxMachine.com. So more news coming to you guys this Friday on June 2nd. But thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. If you just discovered the podcast, you can subscribe and listen to the show wherever you listen to podcasts, such as Spotify and Apple Music. We also upload our podcasts into our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Machine. And if you do watch our videos there, please subscribe to our channel. We would greatly appreciate it. You can follow us on Twitter at Sox Machine. I'm at Sox Machine underscore Josh. And those are also our Instagram handles as well if you are on the gram. If you enjoy our work and want more, you can get more at patreon.com slash machine. We have been seeing a lot of activity on Patreon, so thank you to all of our new Patreon supporters. Greatly yes, appreciated. Monthly plans start at $2, and our Patreon supporters get exclusive content. They get ad-free versions of both the podcast and the website. And when we have new Sox Machine swag, they're the first ones to receive it from the Sox Machine store. We also do have annual subscriptions to save you a little bit of money. Again, you can sign up at patreon.com slash Machine. The Sox Machine podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com. You're on for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire podcast network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening and watching. <laughs>